Welcome to another episode of Talk Flagler. I am your host, Chris Gollum, political and cultural reporter for AskFlagler.com, and we are here with Jonathan Lord, making his return to the show. He's the Emergency Management Director for Flagler County, and uh, figured it was a, a good time to have him back on. Yeah, thank you. With uh, certain events in recent months. So, um, first question I had was, how much more vulnerable was Flagler County to Hurricane Nicole with Hurricane Ian having happened so recently? That's always a tough one to truly quantify, but I, I can definitely rest assured knowing that if Ian hadn't impacted us, you know, about 40 some odd days prior to that, that Nicole probably would not have been as devastating. You know, mm-hmm. you know the big impacts for us, it wasn't, they both weren't really what we call wind events. They were tropical storm force winds. Not that they weren't devastating, not that they did, that didn't knock down trees and we didn't have debris because of that, but these were very much coastal storms. You know, there are parts of Flagler County for both of those hurricanes where people were going, what hurricane? What storm? We didn't have a tropical storm here. But if you're at the beach, there was, there was no mistaking that on our Bayer Island that we had, we had tropical storm impacts. And Ian, what it first did, what Ian's main impact was it chewed up our dune system. So we already have a weakened dune system going back as far as 2016 with Hurricane Matthew followed by Irma. And we're, we, we've been in a multi-year process to rebuild parts of that dune system, but it's still not back to 100%. So Ian comes along choose away what, what dune system we do have left, leaving very little behind, though there was some remnants left. And then 40 some odd days later, Nicole comes and just says, I'm going to take the rest of it. And unfortunately, that ended up pushing sand into roadways. A whole lot of water came inland. And that was just from the ocean. On the intercoastal side, because the ocean water blocked the inlets that allow the intercoastal empty into the ocean, water built up. And we actually had flooding on the intercoastal side as well. Mm-hmm. How does the damage uh, from those two compare to like Hurricane Matthew, which is the last time we saw like the road getting out? So on the coast side, it was very, very similar. Very similar. Because we all know Matthew, it it got damaged and was closed for a while and even through Irma. Um, But it was built back in a stronger way. So if we picture that, these were technically weaker storms in general. However, but they definitely damaged the new stronger, the new stronger roadway. So I think that's very, very telling. And then even on the flood zone, on the intracoastal side, same issue happened again. It's not the ocean directly causing the flooding on the intracoastal side, but it's the backup of that water, and then you add rain on top of that. What was different between Nicole and Ian and Hurricane Matthew or even Irma is we had less wind, we had less inland wind. Mm-hmm. So we didn't see all the roads closed in Palm Coast and Benel and the western side of our county. Though in Ian, we did see a unique issue where the St. John's River backed up because of the record rainfall with 15 to 18 inches of rain in Flagler County, maybe even upwards of 30 inches of rain in the counties south south and west of us. All that water ended up in the St. John's. So following Ian, that water had to head somewhere. While no one, we typically don't think of Flagler County being sitting on the banks of St. John's because we're not. But we have Crescent Lake and Dead Lake, which are connected through Dunn's Creek to the St. John's River. So the St. John's River can't empty. And on top of that, you have 15 plus inches of rain in Flagler County that's trying to exit into the lake. The river's backed up, the lake backs up. We had significant flooding actually around Crescent Lake and Dead Lake, which was kind of rare for us. So that doesn't really happen that often, which is a good thing. It doesn't happen that often. We had that unique mix of very unique, very wet storm mixed with the, the fact that the river backed up. And that was a totally, while it's indirectly related to what was happening on the ocean, it was actually, it wasn't directly caused by the ocean water coming in. So it was a, we kind of had a, Ian gave us kind of a double impact, east and west side, but then kind of left the middle of the county alone because mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of wind. Hmm. Where Matthew was more east side of the county, but we also had wind throughout the county. So we were picking up trees and clearing roads for, for weeks on end. We didn't have that with either of these two storms. 
as bad as uh, as things were in Flagler County, and some areas did get hit pretty bad. When you look at a place like Daytona Beach Shores, which yeah. is a pretty short drive south of here, oh, yes. does does it feel like we dodged a bullet? I think yes. That they're they're not just geography, but their building is a little bit different. We don't knock on wood. We don't have condominium buildings sitting on the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. They do. And they didn't have the protection of seawalls or anything like that protecting those properties. Mm-hmm. We're kind of blessed here in Flagler County. We've never had that kind of development. We do have condo buildings, but they're all the other side of, a, of A1A, the west yeah. side of A1A. Or if you head north, head into like the hammock area, they're much for, A1A heads way west there, heading towards the intercoastal more. But none of those condo buildings in the northern part of the county are actually sitting directly on the ocean. Right. So knock on wood, we would we had the same kind of impacts on the dune system as they had, but we didn't have immediate infrastructure sitting right there that involves condo buildings. Mm-hmm. So our development didn't grow in the same fashion, but we had the exact same impacts. But the impacts look different here because we don't have those buildings in those locations. Is there any danger to ones like the Aliki Towers and Flagler Beach that are on the west side of A1A but are still relatively close? Maybe like is the does the sand get it all like waterlogged? Does that have any effect on them? There, there is impact to the sand a little bit, but I think the bigger issue would just be the force of the storm. And the tropical storm really wouldn't do that for us. We're not immune to a Category 5. There are parts of the state that think they're immune to a Category 5. I hear it all the time. Well, Northeast Florida doesn't get Category 5s. We don't until we do. You know, mm-hmm. Hurricane Michael, um, back in two years ago, 2019, off the top of my head, um, and the Panhandle. The Panhandle always said, oh, we don't get Category 5s in the handle. We're too far north. We're too cold. And then they got Hurricane Michael, and that devastated Bay County and some of the surrounding counties up there. We are very much at risk of getting Category 5 storm. Mm-hmm. Category 5 storm, all bets are off. While we won't see the I, – I can't imagine a scenario where Category 5 will come in and scour the roadway and all the homes leading up to something like the Aliki Tower. I can't see that particular scenario happening. But having the Atlantic Ocean come all the way across the island and just the force of the water damaging that, that is very feasible and is very likely. And I think our residents and our business and our government, we need to be prepared for that potential realistic scenario. When you had areas of Florida that got hit significantly worse than Flagler and right. Northeast Florida, like obviously the big one being Fort Myers yeah. was hit. I mean, like a war had gone through there. Um, were there any like personnel from Flagler that went down there to assist with that? Yeah. So we had the um, Flagler County as well as the city of Palm Coast sent firefighters that spent a, quite a few weeks down there in taking turns. Mm-hmm. And then actually emergency management, we actually sent one of our staff down to help with sheltering I believe, activities. Was that Neilan? Yep, Neilan went down? down for about a week. Who's also been on the podcast. Uh, yep. Plug for that episode while we're talking about <laughs> it. Yeah, what all did uh, did he do when he was down there? He did very well. He, he did great. Um, he was there about three weeks post-impact, give or take. Mm-hmm. And his main focus was working with the sheltering. The state had set up a unique longer-term sheltering option where they hired a company to run it. Mm-hmm. And his goal with it, with his experience running shelters here in our county, was to kind of be that liaison between the county and the state's run sheltering operation to make sure that the residents that were being sheltered were being taken care of appropriately, being case managed to help them find longer term solutions. A lot of those folks that were still seeking shelter three to four weeks out um, were a lot of them were home pre disaster homeless. Mm-hmm. So it's become very interesting. Like, where how do you case manage those individuals to make sure that they can be returned to their pre storm condition? But if they were homeless in a park that doesn't exist anymore because the hurricane came through, then how do you appropriately deal with that individual? So it's very much setting up the bits and pieces while he didn't have to actually case manage, but he helped build this, the building blocks to allow the county to continue in case manage after the fact. Mm-hmm. 
So um, we've had now, uh, as we were saying, two hurricanes just in the last few years that have done a number on Flagler Beach. Yep. Um, there was the Matthew, there was um, Ian and Nicole, there was Irma. Irma. I mean, there's been, there's been several in recent memory. Um, with this this happening um, a few times lately, um, there's been a lot of discussion with kind of large-ish price tags on how to um, how to recover from that, how right. to rebuild, yep. fix the road, fix the dunes, the um, all that is. Are we getting to the point where we need a more long-term fix, spending, you know, maybe spending more money attacking it with more to keep keep it from being a repetitive thing? Is there uh, an approach to go about doing it that way? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot. Especially if you look at the critical infrastructure of, of A1A particularly. I think that's where you're, where you're kind mm-hmm. of getting at. I, th- I think a, a, tr- a community-wide discussion really needs to happen that talks about what are the potential options. You know, option, simplest options, you return, you return to what it was, you know, 60 days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but realistic, you have to, we have to realize and ex- accept that it's going to get damaged again. Then if we build it back the way it was before. Then the same thing's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. We have to be cognizant that Matthew, Irma, Nicole, Ian were all tropical storm force impacts in Flagler County. While Irma and Matthew might've been stronger storms off our coastline. They were tropical storm force impacts here. So we haven't even had a true cat one here, let alone a category five. So we, we need to keep that in mind that we need to expect that we're going to have bigger damage in the future. So keeping that in mind, we need to say, okay, well, maybe building it back exactly the same is not the best answer. So what are other things we can do? And, and the big top topics that will typically come up through the Florida Department of Transportation is putting up things like seawalls that do work, as well as um, the idea of relocating A1A. And, that, and those, are, those are discussions the community collectively has to have with the Department of Transportation to say, how do we continue to protect this infrastructure? How important is this? Does this main road stay here or is it better to move it in? And the answer is, well, we need to stay here. Then how do we better protect it from an even bigger event, which is very feasible? Hopefully it doesn't happen, but it is very feasible. And then there's drawbacks too. If you put something in like a seawall, the odds are that the beach vanishes quicker is very high because when waves hit a seawall, it scours more and pulls more sand away with it. Mm-hmm. So we're never going to get out of the business of replacing sand, but you may stop, get out of the business of re- replacing the road. And then we'll have to look at other ways and how far do we go to replace sand? I mean, that's very much a discussion that not only local taxpayers can, we can't just foot the bill here in Flagler Canada. We need partnerships with the state and the federal government because these are tens upon tens of millions of dollars projects that we just don't have that bandwidth here mm-hmm. just in our county alone. Yeah. And I mean, like the like Flagler County has what, I think 120 or 40,000 residents. Flagler Beach has five some thousand. It's exactly. definitely not the kinds of municipalities that can just throw that kind of money out there to repair this. But it's also happens. not a problem we can ignore either because right. just like most of Florida, Flagler County does have a big portion of its revenue based on tourism. People come to Flagler County because of our beaches. It's one of the draw, one of the many draws. Mm-hmm. So if you lose that main thing, and this, this is a discussion that's not only happening in Flagler County. This discussion is happening all over the state of Florida, primarily on the eastern seaboard because there's a lot of counties that impacted recently. Again, just, just like they did in Matthew and Irma. Mm-hmm. So these are very similar discussions happening all up and down the eastern seaboard is what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to invest money in? Um, and what is the dollar amount that's the appropriate investment? That's very much a policymaker's decision. And, and then we've got to deal with the impacts of those those decisions. Does something like a seawall or even moving A1A, does that feel inevitable at this point? I, if I was a betting person, I would say yes. I think one of those two options is going to have to come to the forefront. forefront and, then discuss, and then the discussion becomes... Well, then how do you get, how do you mitigate the impacts that's going to cause? Because there is no perfect solution. So mm-hmm. no matter what you pick, some, there's going to be some negative somewhere to some other aspect of society, 
of moving the roadway or putting a seawall in. There's no, like I said, there's always going to be something else that we have to talk about openly to, to understand that this may now occur because we do that. But is that that whatever this is, is that better than every 10 years or six years replacing a chunk of roadway at a, not a, not, not a very cheap cost yeah. and costs are only going up, going up. And at that point, if they explore one of those two options, I mean, the beach never looks the same. There's, right. you know, and I know, you know, I'm a Flagler beach resident myself and I know people who've lived there a lot longer than me are very protective of the, the image and the charm of the beach. And uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow yeah. when you get to a point where you have to really drastically change the makeup of it because this sort of thing keeps happening. And, and, and let's, let's just explore the idea of the seawall. Mm-hmm. So when they rebuilt A1A after Matthew and Irma, the northern part of A1A in Flagler Beach had a seawall put in. It was buried under the sand. A lot of people didn't realize that, but there's a seawall there. It is now well exposed. You can see that. But you notice A1A in the northern end of the county where that happened is not damaged. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not just a seawall. The topography is a little different up there. And even where there isn't a seawall in the northern end, A1A isn't inherently damaged. But you could argue that the seawall did where it does exist, to very much protected that. And if you look up and down the from Brevard County to St. John's County and just look at the damage, especially when you have some of that nice drone or helicopter imagery, you can just see what there's homes with seawalls and homes without. Homes with seawalls aren't falling into the ocean. Homes without that were sitting on the precipice, maybe not here in Flagler County, but some of the neighboring counties, you can see how the sand is just vanishing. But the mm-hmm. seawall sits there and the neighboring property is seawall, and that neighboring property looks fine. Well, yeah. The beach may look different, but the actual property behind the wall looks fine. So I think seawalls are very much a part of the solution, but they it's it's not as simple as well then just put a seawall up. There, there's many pieces to that. So you could put one under the sand like they had done before and have that be a relatively effective move. Because I know yeah. I know a lot of people, if they have the option to not have you know, I don't want to call it an ugly looking wall right. if it's necessary. Don't want to look down but, at, at corrugated iron or whatever they mean. Yeah, it's not the most aesthetically ple- no. pleasing thing for what's currently a, a gorgeous beach. So right. that, but, that e- might... but either is a big hole in A one A. That is also so, true. So, yeah. you know, and then and then there's drawbacks too with the idea of just relocating. Let's say we relocated A one A to Central Avenue. Right? Mm. Is that one block in? Is that one? I think I think it's Central, right? I think it's... I should know that living there. <laughs> but um, well, now that's now the main road is somebody is now in front of somebody else's front door. Yeah. And also the A1A's people's back door. Yeah, so, and then the so ocean that, is coming a, up right, to their back door. Right. So that's that a point. whole separate set of issues. Mm-hmm. So again, that's why I keep saying that there's no simple solution, but it's got to be a community-developed solution. It's something, and there may be other solutions. I'm not an engineer. There's, there could be other hybrid solutions, mix-and-match solutions out there. Mm-hmm. But it, it truly has to be a community discussion. And I th- But I think the leading thing moving into these discussions really needs to be – and DOT set up a, 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 the call a strike team to talk about how do we – the long-term – solutions for a1a i think the one thing i can guarantee is doing the same thing again is going to result in the same thing again meaning we're going to have another storm something mm-hmm. as weak as a tropical storm that's going to damage the road again if we don't do something different mm-hmm. is uh w- with this this pattern of hurricanes kind of doing this for a little bit now um and you could tie it into maybe to climate change but is this getting more frequent and like a long-term thing did it did, has it always happened it would happen this often as it has in the last maybe 10, 15 years? Is it getting worse? So busier hurricane seasons are cyclical. Whether it's tied to climate change or not, they definitely are cyclical. You'll get 10 years where there's very few hurricanes, and then you'll get five or six years where there's a lot of hurricanes. Mm-hmm. So that part may or may not be, in my mind, impacted by climate change. But the part, in my mind at least, that is impacted by climate change is sea levels are higher. Right. There's no sense of buts about right. No matter what someone may believe causes them is up to some discussion with some folks. 
But the fact that the sea level is higher today than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there's no disputing that. That, that It is. That's a, that's a scientific measurement. The sea level is higher. So with a hurricane, the big risk that we see with a hurricane, other than the wind, is the storm surge, that water that's pushed forward. If your sea level is starting an inch higher than it was 20 years ago, that surge now is going to be that that one inch higher in the first place. So if you keep if it's one inch, then two inch, and three inches higher, that surge is inherently that much higher, which means the surge comes in, it's going to be higher on the ground, it's going to cause more damage, mm-hmm. and the waves built on top of that. So that, to me, is the bigger risk of that. And then what they're also starting to with the Hurricane Center, I think, is also seeing with the climate changes is the intensity of some of the storms where, you know, Superstorm Sandy going mm-hmm. back years ago, the chance of a decade ago, uh, now. Yeah, dec- which is crazy. That it was a decade ago. Yeah. Um, the fact that you had a storm that strong, while it technically wasn't a hurricane, but it's very similar characteristics, a storm that strong making landfall in New York, that far North mm-hmm. was very shocking. The fact that a category, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, about that. the fact that a category five hurricane made landfall in the panhandle, as much as I disagree with that, they could have never gotten them. I think they were always possible to get them. But you could argue the fact that it happened in our lifetimes. Can that be tied back as a stronger storm than they've had, at least in recent memory? Can that be tied back to climate change? Potentially, because that storm in- rapidly intensified. Mm-hmm. And what causes hurricanes to rapidly intensify before landfall is warmer waters. And again, there is no arguing that scientific measurements, the water is warmer in the Gulf. The water is warmer in the Atlantic Ocean near us than it was 10 years ago. 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So that part is science. That That is 100% black and white. Water is higher, water is warmer. We know that is a fact. Mm-hmm. And that does impact hurricanes, how they develop, and where they may be able to potentially go. Right. Um, so looking at things on, on a, a smaller scale. So we've had, like I say, two hurricanes in the last couple months. What does your day look like when uh, in the days leading up to it and during the storm itself? The hardest part really are the days leading up to it mm-hmm. because we have to make decisions about evacuating residents. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, you know, the part, you know, 50% of an emergency manager's brain is public safety. I need to get them away from harm. The other 50% is, well, if I do it too soon or too late, I can cause more harm than good. If I do it too soon, then people don't listen. And then the next time you call, they're like, well, you moved, you told me to leave. And last time I didn't need to go because the storm went away somewhere else. You also do it too soon. As we say, shut, shut down, we destroy the economy. The minute we call for an evacuation, the area under the evacuation, that economy is shut down. Mm-hmm. Businesses are gone. People aren't able to go to work. So there's the, we have to balance those impacts. An emergency manager, it's not that we're a little different than traditional public safety where they just have to react to what the bad guy does or put the fire out or take care of the medical issue. We have actually have to do a little bit of analysis and say, if we make this decision now and make the recommendation and get signed off on it, it's going to cause these impacts. It's going to cost a million dollars in lost revenue. It's going to cause, it could cause a mom and pop restaurant to go out of business and never return again. They may not have storm damage, but if we, if we evacuated for a week, not that we would do it a week long, that's, that you know mom and pop store may never come back because they lost revenue for a week and they were barely there, you know, making it in the first place. So those are things that do have to play through our minds. But at the end of the day, we have to do it for public safety. But, so we have to find that right time to do it and know that when is the last time we called for the evacuation and then if we're calling for an evacuation, we have to put a whole bunch of things in motion, such as opening shelters. We can't evacuate folks without offering them a place to go. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't really want people to seek shelter publicly. We want people to go stay with friends and family, hotel or motel, if you have the means. But as we all know, not everybody has the means to seek shelter some other way. Or sometimes your primary plan falls through. Your plan was to go stay with a neighbor that lives in Benel or Palm Coast, away from the area, being evacuated. But that neighbor is not in town. 
Mm-hmm. So now you're back. So so we have to open up shelters. Us opening up shelters, we use the schools for it. In a hurricane scenario, means schools can't be in session. So then we now trigger, and we have to have those shelters ready before we call for the evacuation. So we now trigger an impact that shuts down the school district. Shutting down the school district now impacts kids that have to be at home. Kids that have to be at home, if they're younger, need a parent at home. A parent now can't go to work. So I mean, we actually go through all these iterations of talking through all of these scenarios because we know we're going to impact people. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times the storm, no matter what we do, the storm may go off somewhere else. And I'm okay with that, but we, but we still now have these impacts in our community. But if we don't do it and the storm comes then people die. So it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very unique world. And it's not as simple as ah, it's time. Just, just go evacuate the Baron. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. So we have, we actually have to play through all of these scenarios and balance all the good, the bad, the unknown to try to figure out what's going on. So then we call for the evacuation. Honestly, I actually breathe this. Once we make the call, once we announce it on in the media and you show our press release, I actually, my blood pressure actually drops a few, a few hundred points at that point in time. Because it's done. Because it's done. At this point in time, I just got to deal with the consequence of the decision. Yeah. It's not the what if, what if anymore. It is now, it is done. No matter what we do, someone's going to be mad that we did it. And someone's going to be mad that we didn't do it soon enough. Someone's going to be mad that we waited too long. That's life. That's, that's the kind of, when you take the job, you know, that's life, right? Yeah. So that happens. And then the storm hits us. And then we just, we, at that point, we become like traditional public safety. We react to the problem. The storm hits us and people are trapped. We work with the responders to go save the people that are trapped when it's safe to do so. Um, the storm impacts us and, and buildings collapse and roadways collapse. Then we react with the appropriate entities that can fix those things to get them open. So while those things are much more in depth, they're more black and white. Hole in road, fix the hole. Got to get the right people to do it. You know, people trapped, send fire and law enforcement to go rescue people. Is it safe? Yes, go rescue them. Should tell them about the, the little driveways going into Winn-Dixie on 100. I think there's some, some holes they never really got to. <laughs> <laughs> that parking lot's never. I don't, I've I've lived here five years now. That parking lot hasn't changed in five years. Yeah, the guys, it was the hurricane. You need to get sure it was. Yeah, um, I know in in Florida, it's it's funny that this is even like a, a factor in in point. But a lot of Floridians, especially longtime ones, uh, almost have like a point of pride sometimes in defying Defiant evacuation pride. orders. Yeah, pride. Um, I've lived here for thirty years, and I've never had to. I, I've I've ignored every order. I hear it all the time. Yeah. Does that pose a problem for you guys when like a bunch of people are? It does because one of these times that will be the cat fight. So Dorian, remember Dorian was 2019. Michael, when I was wrong with Michael, Michael might have been early. But so Dorian, yeah, yeah, remember yeah, yeah. Dorian was aiming for us. Dorian was aiming for Flagler County as a category four. Mm-hmm. Did it veer off? It, did, it, it sat over the Bahamas and destroyed the Bahamas. As recent as it was, I, I'm yeah. already like forgetting what each one did. But there was a point in time Dorian was going to make landfall in Flagler County as a category four. Some, something mm-hmm. blessed us, something or someone blessed us, and it did not. But it was 100% at, at, a, at a point in time, we were right, we were smack dab in the middle of that cone. It wasn't like, oh, we're at the edge. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to weaken. No, it was Category 4 is making landfall, dead set in Flagler County. Um, so so that just proves those scenarios can set up. I hope they go away. I hope they set up and we can wind everything back. But yeah. one of these times, we won't be able to do that. One of these times, we will get what happened in Fort Myers. It's going to happen here. We're going to have our barrier island, I don't know about level, but significantly impacted. We have a little bit, Fort Myers Beach is pretty flat and low. We have peaks and valleys on our island, higher areas. So we wouldn't have that same kind of impact as Fort Myers Beach. We also have some newer construction. And the newer construction is much more storm resilient. Yeah. Because it's built with newer building codes. But nonetheless, we're going to have that kind of impact here at some point in time. I'm hoping it's not in my lifetime. I'm hoping in, hoping it's none of your listeners' lifetimes. But it's it will happen. We are not immune to that. And that one time... When a thousand people say, well, I've lived through 30 years here in Flagland, I haven't had to leave. Even if they are alive, even if they're able to survive the storm, 
we can't just automatically come back and start saving people. Yeah. We have to clear roadways. We have to be able to get responders there. When the winds are blowing and the floods, the flood waters are coming in and you're trying to hide in your attic, we can't send a fire truck when the water is 6, 15, 18 feet to high, which is very possible. 18-foot wall of water is possible on our coastline. Mm-hmm. We can't send a fire truck into that. We can't fly a helicopter when the winds are 150 miles an hour. Yeah. So you could it could be as simple as <clears throat> you fell down and you broke broke a bone or you're having a heart attack. We can't come get you. That honestly is my bigger fear. It's not necessarily the rescuing, which we will have to do when the storm passes. I really hope we don't have to, but we know people don't listen to us. It is the smaller things where people defiantly justify, well, I've made it so this far and I've never had to leave. What if that is the time you have a heart attack? What is that time you trip and you hit your head in something? And then someone tries to call 911 and the phone system doesn't work because the storm knocked out the phone lines. Or if it does work and the operator on this end says, well, sorry, there's a six, eight, 10 foot wall of water. We can't send an ambulance to get you. That That's the part I'm trying, especially in the last couple of years, I've been trying to drive home the, I've realized I may, I'm not going to change your mind because you're not worried about that wall of water. But what about the normal 911 stuff that's going to happen and that we just can't get to you at that point in time? Yeah. So the message people should take home is there's no loss of masculinity. You don't lose your Florida card by evacuating Not a hurricane. All. You can go stay at a friend's house and have your hurricane party if that's what you so choose. You know, I was going to ask, uh, have you ever, and you can be honest, have you ever had one of the public's hurricane cakes? I have, had not, I have not. You've not? I'm always at work when a hurricane. I moved to Florida because of hurricanes to work for Miami-Dade Emergency Management. So from day one, moving to Florida, I've been working in emergency management. Mm. So I've always been at work during a hurricane. You've never had someone just bring you guys? What if no. someone did show up with hurricane cake? Just wanted to bring it by the station so if, to if, thank if, you guys for hard work. If some wonderful people wanted to let us have a hurricane cake from Publix, we would love that. There you go, guys. <laughs> bring Jonathan Lord a hurricane cake. No, so we cannot take free gifts. But if it appeared on our doorstep, it appears on our doorstep. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, just give them like a penny or something. Just give, give them a dollar. So it's not a free fair game. market value. There you go. Just getting around the, the cake was a few weeks old. So it's only worth a penny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're getting you that friends episode of the cheesecake. On the floor now. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I know the governor visited after I don't, a couple of both storms. He visited after both of them. Flagler. Yeah. Did you get to um, talk to him a lot? While yes, we did. Here? And we actually had some really good chats with him. His, his emergency management leadership, Kevin Guthrie, used to be here years ago, who's now the state mm-hmm. emergency management director, and, and some of their recovery personnel. We had really great discussions with them, talked through what the issues are that we're having in our community, to the barriers to, to effective recovery, and, mm-hmm. and they, they've been great partners to work with us. How hands-on is um, DeSantis himself? He process? was very good. So we, so in both of our meetings, we I, I actually personally created little flyers so he could, when he got back in his car, got back on the plane, he could read stuff. So I actually used those to kind of brief from, and he was very much engrossed in reading the numbers, the impacts. So we documented how many homes were impacted, the cost of the damages, the, the expense of the response operations. So we had that all that written down but in a nice little format. And he was very much engrossed, like reading that as we were talking through that. Mm-hmm. So, he's he's, so you can tell. He, yeah, and he used to be our, our congressman years ago. Until 2020. Yeah. 2018. 2018. 18. Yeah. Because when he ran for governor. So, yeah, he... Um, and, so, and he lived in... I believe Palm Coast for a while. He had a condo at some point in time. I think Coast. North Palm Coast. If yeah. he had a property, maybe like the C or the F section up there oh, yeah. or the hammock or something. I don't know. Um, was Governor Scott uh, a similar way during those hurricanes pre-2018? Yeah, he, he was very hands-on. I think Florida historically, because of, unfortunately, we get hit with disasters probably more so than any other state. Um, I think it can make or break governor's careers. Mm-hmm. Um, my, the first governor that I got to deal with in hurricanes was... Back in 04 and 05 were my first hurricane seasons in Florida. Bush, right? It was um, Jeb Bush, and mm-hmm. he was very hands-on. He was super hands-on. I think he set that 
that expectation for what a Florida governor should do for its its citizens and its businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and our governors have always been, I think, right on with that. Very involved, very hands-on. Did you deal with Chris also? Because I know there's a while there that we weren't getting many major storms. I don't know no, I think Chris was lucky. I think Chris kind of got that that little window we didn't have a lot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but yeah, and that's- Jeb Bush had the back-to-back, like four storms in a row. Yeah, like Charlie. Like every, other, every other month kind of thing. Oh, I remember that well. Yeah. I lived in Palm Coast and that happened. Um, and that's another point I know is it's kind of circling back a little bit, something we talked about. But why kind of was that? Like we just had that period of of almost yeah. nothing. I, I think it's just, a, it's just the weather system set up the right way. There, there are weather forces in the Pacific Ocean, they call them La Nina and El Nino, that actually impact the ability for the storms to develop in the Atlantic Ocean. It's, it's, so, it's so interconnected. If you have a certain type of weather system setting up in the Pacific, it creates wind shear or does not create wind shear. And hurricanes need warm water as well as the ability to spin. And, and if the top of the storm is being knocked off by wind shear coming across the, the, the globe, that actually weakens the hurricane and makes it harder for it to develop. So, so those certain Pacific weather Pacific systems can ha- cause more shear and make it harder for a hurricane to develop in the Atlantic or the, or the Caribbean. On top of that, something as simple as sand can impact a hurricane. So when you get Saharan dust, which is primarily sand coming from the from the Sahara Desert coming across from Africa, that actually tamp- dampens down the ability for hurricanes to spin up. Mm-hmm. So you have you have Pacific weather systems, nothing to do with the Atlantic or Caribbean Sea impact hurricanes. And then you have sand from a desert as dust impacting a hurricane. And they all impact the ability for it to develop and fight and can, and can some, sometimes counteract that warmer water that it wants the hurricane to develop. So, so, so actually our season, the beginning of this hurricane season, was very quiet until the last couple of months. Yeah. Because we, have, we had Saharan dust for mm. about a month or so sitting over the beginning of the hurricane, sitting, sitting over the entire Atlantic and coming over the Florida Peninsula. So and that did dampen down the ability to form. Do you look at, at those uh, sorts of things? Like, do you like watch the Pacific, watch stuff like that to see if it looks like you might get? Yeah, we do. So we, we actually look at like, we look at that, and the experts are the Hurricane Center. So we're not we're not going to second guess hurricanes. Those are actually those are scientists that study hurricane development 365 days a year, right? Even outside of hurricane season, because unfortunately hurricanes don't listen to the season. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it's it's June for it's it's uh, it's May 31st. We can't we can't we can't create a storm yet. They don't. They don't work that way, right? Sadly, yeah. Sadly, they can. They occur before and after hurricane season. I think February was the latest the hurricane actually developed in the Atlantic. That's mm-hmm. way after the end of hurricane season. Um, but well, we watch that. We watch the trends of where they're going. Um, it, does it change our behavior? Not really, but it better informs us what we can expect. Mm. At the end of the day, we still need to prepare our community. We still want our residents to be prepared for disasters, whether it's hurricane season or not. Because when we're out of hurricane season, we can have nor'easters that cause damage. When it's neither one of those, we can have tornadoes that cause damage. We could have a we could have a pandemic that causes yeah. emergency issues. You know, something I never thought I would see in my emergency management career was a pandemic, and obviously we did. And yeah. it's something emergency managers have talked about for decades. But it was all one of those things is now oh, you plan for it and you put it on a shelf because that doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. That, that happened in the 1800s. What are you worried it's about? It's the book you never think you're going to yes. crack open. And obviously, unfortunately, it happens. Mm-hmm. And I was going to touch on that too, as I know it's. Hurricanes are the the topic uh, at the moment, but what uh, what is the scope of the emergency management department? I know like hurricanes are the big one, but what else do you guys? Uh, it really is any potential emergency or disaster that can impact our community. It's anything you name it. It could be us. It could be a meteor coming. I don't. I'm not. I'm what not trying. You, I'm not trying to wish that a meteor. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we would say evacuate the heck out of the area as much as we can. And some Florida man would probably still try to stay. Yeah, we'll try to stop it. 
exactly. <laughs> they hold their hand up. Have saying, you seen- I've lived here for 30 years. I can stop that. Exactly. Have you seen uh, Don't Look Up? The movie no, came out a year or two ago. I haven't seen that one. The, the premise of it is that there's a meteor coming to hit the earth. And I remember, spoiler alert, as the meteor approaches, there is one guy, I think it was Ron Perlman, is out there firing a handgun. Because that's going to make a difference. Hurricane. Well, number one, you need at least some kind of rifle if you're going to hit something that far up in the air. A handgun is not going to get the job. Then. It's never going to hit a meteor. <laughs> really? You sure? Um, yeah. If you get some kind of like like long barrel thing, you might go from... I think more of a nuclear warhead is probably what needs to move a meteor. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Now, don't get me wrong. I, I truly believe like a meteor impacting Earth to devastate the Earth like did during the dinosaur times. With it's the techno- not unprecedented. It's not unprecedented, but the technology we have, I'd like to think that our federal governments around the world have tools at their disposal. They can try to change the course or shatter it into smaller pieces before it impacts us as one massive rock. They practiced that recently, didn't they? They did, they did yes. Like a trial run they of, did. of trying to swat one away. Did that yeah. work? I, I believe that. I believe they got better results than they expected. I'm not sure, quite sure what they expected, though. Well, so that's good. That's, that's a very relative statement. I don't know what the expectation was. Yeah. Maybe the fact that it landed on the meteor was was good. I don't know. And then they took like a photo of it right. the second before it hit. So I'm thinking with all the technology we have today, how, I can't imagine where we can't somehow deflect or break it up into smaller pieces. So to me, that's the – I can't really do much about it. And if it's going to be that big anyway, telling people to leave five hours ahead of time, is that really going to get people far enough away from – the potential impact. It, it come, Probably not. The dinosaurs went extinct around the entire world. There was nowhere safe, safe from them, right? So much, from, yeah. from the meteor. So so who knows that really make a difference. But, you know, oddly enough, we're starting to think about Cold War stuff again, nuclear nuclear weapons again. Is that something you deal with? We, we think about that. I, I mean, we don't have bomb shelters here in Florida because we don't have basements. That's true. But we, we know we do look at things like messaging. What would we say? And uh, New York City of New York's um, Office of Emergency Management which is probably one of the most well-known ones in the world. They, they started doing a whole video series about the whole duck and cover, get away, protect, go right. inside, shut your windows, that kind of stuff. Because the threat, unfortunately, we're in a political environment again where that threat is increasing again versus decreasing. Yeah. And that's, that's very scary. And there's, there's nothing an emergency manager can do to stop a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. That's entirely on our military, right? But we need to be able to, if somehow we get that bomb warning – that in three hours it's coming, we need to be able to message and say, what can we do? How can we, you know. Is there a statement written somewhere? Uh, not really. A lot of that guidance will come from the federal government, what to do and where it's going. But I mean, mm-hmm. at, at, at face value, if you're outdoors, get, it's going to be get indoors mm-hmm. because distance and shielding makes a difference. So hopefully it doesn't, it's not landing here, but it's landing somewhere else. Maybe leave a bag of popcorn. Yeah. And if you're and, and if you're out and if we need to quickly scal- open up shelters for those that are outside that can't get to their home fast enough, then a series of rapid fire phone calls to everyone that can open up buildings for us would happen. Oh, wow. That's so, crazy. To think I don't, about. I don't want to think about it. I didn't want to think about pandemics either. And yeah. it was, it, it was the on the shelf thing. I you know, we say the same thing for a nuclear war again. It's the on the shelf. It's, we haven't talked about this since the fifties. It's on the yeah. on the shelf thing again. And the, uh, the shelf looks mighty different after that. It now. does. So yeah. it's much more digital now, but still nonetheless, it's a digital, it's a folder versus a shelf now. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, you know, we don't, so we don't have a written plan for that, but we what we do is our emergency management plan, we call it the CEMP, Comprehensive Emergency Management Plan, is all hazards. It gives us the framework. And it's publicly available. It's on our county's website, on our emergency management website. It builds the framework of how to deal with anything, basically. Mm-hmm. It kind of says, these are our structures. These are who we communicate with. And then in that, you throw whatever it is at us. We will find the right players to react however we can. And again, emergency management is about planning and 
trying to deal with the co- consequence of management. It's a big part of it, dealing with the consequences, protecting the public, realizing that we can't stop a lot of these. We can't stop a hurricane. People mm-hmm. have tried. We we can't. The emergency manager of Flagler County cannot stop a hurricane, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. We can't stop a tornado, but we can warn the public. We can teach the public of how to react to whatever that next disaster is. What, and I know I would be putting you on the spot, but what's like the most obscure scenario that there is a plan for in that that portal? The most unlikely. Is there actually something in there for Meteor? No, no, no. We, we, would, we would deal with it the same way. So we don't have hazard-specific plans. Again, it's really that generic Oh, document. so it's, it's just we're in a serious hazard. Yes. It doesn't really break it down by which, Correct. which one. Some places do things different. But for us, it's very much we build the framework, how to deal with any hazard. That way, no matter what pops up, we can then deal with it mm-hmm. in some fashion. Gotcha. All right. Well, but the, there's things that spin in my head at two o'clock in the morning of, and, and my staff, I think are the same way of, of what if we have a this? Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's gotta be just, I, I, I'm sure my mind would like wander. I mean, even, even of our plans of plans for a pan, for pandemics, the idea that the county government would be in the business of running COVID tests at a drive through site was not even in the pandemic. They, so they gi- they're giving you a needle. They're giving you a needle to get make you immune to something. Was in the plan. That's always been in the plan. Yeah. But the whole idea of we're now in the testing business. That's something we always thought the healthcare system would handle, or the or the health department would handle. Well, the last time there was anything comparable to this is what the Spanish flu, and that right. was and there was no what, testing for it. Turn of the century, right? Like nineteen hundred, and technology was but we, not we, even comparable. Mass vaccinations was planned for. That's what the pandemics were about. Mass vaccinations. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of that. having. Very limited testing supplies so that only entities like governments could set up testing. And then to know that the public health department wouldn't have the capacity, which is technically a state agency, even though they're called Flyer County Health Department, they're technically a state agency, not a county agency. Yeah. Um, that the state wouldn't really have the capacity in all communities to do that. You know, it got us in a unique place. We we partnered up. Our comprehensive plan says, hey, when it comes to medical stuff, we have other partners, not just the health department. We have Advent Health. We have the, the EMS agencies, the fire departments. Yeah, we got all those players together to say, okay, I can. We know we can order test kits. We know these following kind of people are allowed to stick things in people's mouths and nose and test for stuff because at the beginning it was very restrictive. Yeah. Now you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning it was very restrictive. Only a nurse or a paramedic or an EMT under the guide of a paramedic or a doctor could do it. So we went and found those players and we had wonderful partners at the Daytona State College campus saying you can use our parking lot, and we literally built tents in their parking lot. I, I was tested one of them once. <laughs> so seen it. in a million years, would I have ever thought we would ever be in that business? No way. You could have, If you asked me in 2004 when I first became a full-time emergency manager as my second career, if someone asked me, Jonathan, do you think you'd ever be coordinating with other government agencies to run testing for some disease? I'd be like, that's got nothing to do with us. Why would we ever do that? It was a disaster, all right. It, so it's, the, it was, it was very interesting. disease, not the response. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, that, that one still to this day, I would say floors me. We got involved in business, in lines of business that I think were unimaginable. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was something else. And you, you have like a more diverse uh, resume now because of it. Some stuff you yeah. never hopefully, expected to be able to Hopefully say skills we'll never have to do again. I, I, hopefully so. I do not want to, I don't want any more hurricanes either, but they're bound to happen. I'm, I'm hoping pandemics truly are a once in a couple of generations kind hopefully. of events. Hopefully but so. But we are a global, we are a global world. And yeah. as people travel between continents, disease processes travel much quicker than they did in the past. That's true. So does that mean? Does that mean it's more likely now? I would say possibly, but then we also have newer technology to fight these diseases. So mm-hmm. awesome. Well, 
I think we have time for about one more question. Sure thing. And it's looping back around to hurricanes, but uh, it's gotten pretty cold out, gotten pretty miserable out. Uh, but with it starting to look like it's coming into fall slash winter, are we out of the woods for a hurricane or is it still possible? It is, it is 100% still possible. But my gut tells me we kind of flick a switch in Florida where all of a sudden it's no longer super muggy and we maybe maybe get up into the 80s and doesn't, you know, it's, it's it's why we all live in Florida mostly because it's the winter is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It feels like that switch has been flicked. You, know, you just kind of get that sense. Yeah. And you, we can only ever see out five days when it comes to hurricane forecasting. And for the last two weeks, that that perpetually moving forward five-day window keeps saying no chance of development, no chance of development. Mm-hmm. And we're heading November 30th is the official last day of hurricane season. So it looks like we're going to make it to November 30th, most likely, with no hurricanes developing. However... Again, hurricanes don't follow the rule book. It doesn't mean it won't happen. Mm-hmm. Just our likelihood is just diminished significantly enough where statistically it's much more unlikely at this point in time. Well, if it does happen, our listeners know who to listen to. Yep. We'll be here. We're here year-round. Awesome. You know, unfortunately for us, um, December. December, twice on December, what was the date? When they had the Starlight, when, Flagler, um, when Palm Coast has their Starlight Festival or parade as it used to be. Twice we've had tornadoes during during that first or second week of December. We're not, I'm not looking for those either. I really don't want those. That'd be another emergency management function for sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, that's pretty much all we got, John. Thank you so much for thank you. It's always a back pleasure. On. Yep. Timely, t- good time to do another one. And uh, yeah, hope to, hope to have you on again, but maybe not have it be so, you know, pressing. Maybe not disaster specific. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe after, after, after a nice calm few months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just to warn everyone that it can end. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay for my career to end with no more disasters. I'm, I'm all right with that. I've got a good 15 plus years to go. I am 100% comfortable by saying, you know what, Jonathan, you haven't had a disaster in 15 years. I would be very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. Thank you.